What's going on, everyone? It's Amy J, and on today's episode of Brain Meets Mind, I'm bringing in a special guest, and we're playing a fun little game that I like to call Mythbusters Brain Edition. We are recording from two different sources, so bear with us as far as the audio is concerned. Regardless, let's get right into it. I'm your host, Amy J, and here on Brain Meets Mind, I extend the basic scientific idea that structure determines function to the fields of neuroscience and psychology. The title of the podcast is a metaphor for my own journey, first as a neuroscience graduate of Georgia Tech, and then as a human being and a lifelong learner. Through my weekly episodes, I aim to break down seemingly complex neuroscience into understandable content that can help you maximize your potential. Plus, nearly every episode includes a weekly challenge so that you too can join me on this beautiful journey of personal growth. You know that your brain is capable of it, so you just have to let your mind prove it. Here we go. So on the topic of creativity, I thought it would only be appropriate to bring in someone with a lot of experience in the creative world. So I'm introducing you to my friend, Kirtan Parekh, who is actually a business administration marketing major at Georgia Tech. He's also pursuing a minor in industrial design. He's the son of a graphic designer and has long been interested in graphic arts and design. In his free time, he enjoys listening to music and watching sports. And he does want you to know that he actually made a perfect score on his 2012 eighth grade writing test, and he's the 2003 Montessori School Handstand Champion. So I'm very excited for you guys to meet him. Let's listen in. Hey, Kirtan, welcome to the show. Hey, Amy, glad to be here. (laughs) All right, so this is going to be fun because I've never done anything like this on a show before. So basically, both of us have come to the table with a list of five different myths. Yours are mostly creative, right? Yes, I tried to focus as much of mine around creativity as I could. (laughs) (laughs) Most of mine are basically general neuroscience, but it'll be fun to kind of see if these are true or false. We're going to present each of our myths to each other and then talk about the science behind them. Sweet. Sounds good. Yay, let's get into it. You have the first one? Okay, yeah. So the first myth, uh, people are either born creative or they're not born creative. Is that false? Yeah, it is false. I think a lot of times people have this like generic just like upbringing that tells them that like they are or are not creative, you know, and like that they either have it in them or that they don't. But like just as the same way um, as like someone tells you that you are creative or you're not like that's how easy it is to like practice creativity Um, just because like a lot of times people are like everyone's born with it, but like it's whether or not you practice it that really determines whether or not you think as a creative um and from all the research that i was able to do and the little that i understood um it's mainly just like nurturing the nature of being creative and a lot of that like i just mentioned is like based on the thinking um so there's like two styles of thinking which are convergent and divergent thinking um and what's interesting about those is like creatives typically are the ones practicing divergent thinking while like more logical minded and like uh, kind of the more numbers based people um, usually practice like convergent thinking. But the Mm -hmm. interesting thing is that 
no one person is more capable of thinking one way or the other. It's just which one you prefer to think with and like which one you practice more. Yeah. So um, just because someone is creative doesn't mean that they are only capable of thinking one way or not. So it's a, it's a little bit of nurturing that nature and, and understanding that you're not a part of a, a box, you know? You know, it's actually funny that you bring up the nature versus nurture situation because that's a whole debate in the world of is psychology. It? Have you heard of that before? No. Not entirely related to the creative side, but whenever we're growing up, our personality or like the way we behave, our temperament, all of that, there's this ongoing debate in the world of science um, to see if people are genetically inclined to behave a certain way or, you know, like have a certain personality or if it's something that we adopt based on the environments that we grew up in, like something our parents taught us, something we learned from our friends. You know how they always say, like, you become what your friends are. You're all like the same friend group. Um, so, yeah. So, so there's no answer yet, right? There's no answer. It's, it's an just... ongoing debate. Okay. Interesting. But one way that they actually um, try to delve deeper into it is by looking at twin studies. I don't know if you mm. came across those when you were doing your research. <laughs> by looking at identical twins or fraternal twins, that's how they determine um, what environment can kind of play a role in that, especially if they grew up in different households. Yeah, no, I have not heard of that, but I kind of want to look that up after this. Yeah, pretty cool. Okay, cool. All right, I have the next one. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so is this a fact or a myth? We use 10% of our brains on a daily basis. So I just don't want that to be true, but I'm, well, so because of that, I'll say it's false. You're correct. Okay, good. So that's also, yes, that's a myth. Um, brains are actually very expensive. We use a lot more than 10% of our brains on a daily basis. The organ itself is made up of a lot of fat and then a lot of glucose as well. So carbs, I guess. A lot of studies that have been done that have PET imaging as a determining tool look at the glucose in the brain as determinants of, like, oh, the amygdala, which, if you've listened to my episodes before, you know that's <laughs> responsible for emotional processing. <laughs> It'll light up under the model whenever they look at that and if you're given a certain activity to do. So that's how they determine that. But they've found that it's a lot more than 50% of our brains because the brain is usually active all the time whether you're breathing eating talking to someone just sitting right. there in your resting state it's constantly doing something to maintain all of your homeostasis at once so yes that's false are those are those like tasks just like everyday tasks that it's expending energy on or is that like like i guess what i'm wondering is and maybe you don't don't have the answer to this but like that the amount of energy that is expended from your brain every single day like is that uh does that contribute to like creative processing or is that just like the bare minimum that the brain has to do to carry out its like daily function does that make sense yeah that does okay. i think in the context of the research that was kind of supporting this i think it's for basic function but when it okay. talks about the brain being active all the time obviously that percentage is going to go up with the more that you engage like within the mind that's how you're going to activate those areas as well interesting all right you ready for the next one I am. Okay. Uh, is this true or false? You need to set aside time for creativity. Hmm. I want to say that's false, 
because sometimes these ideas will just come to me like as a like <laughs> as an aside when we were planning this episode out it was kind of just a conversation to, like catch up with each other and then the yeah. idea of doing an episode together came up and then I was like hmm what can we do you're creative you like designing stuff what can we do and I was like oh my gosh let's do like a mythbusters kind of thing <laughs> so that like I didn't intentionally set aside time to like think about that right it kind of just happened right. so I think it's false you you are correct. Yeah, it is false. Um, a lot of times, uh, people, um, even in very like high positions and like very successful people, think that like creativity needs to be a um, kind of book of its own, essentially that like can be practiced and read um, on your own time or something or on on different time, essentially. And so, like one really cool case study that I read about this was um, about Google. Um, and they tried this thing called the 20% rule back in the day with their employees where um, they allowed 20% of their time and 20% of like their working space to be not in the office, um, but with the intent to practice creativity. Um, so what they did is like they had one day a week where they told their employees, like, don't come into the office, go find some place that'll um, inhibit your uh, or not inhibit, but it'll enhance your creative um, like juices and go find uh, some sort of project that is not related to anything you're doing at Google and go put time towards that. And in theory, cool idea, right? And they got pretty famous for it um, just because it's like something like this massive, big, large company that's doing so well is doing. Um, so like, does it actually work? Uh, come to find out it did not work at all. And it's now not a rule that Google has in place just because a lot of times um, creativity is not about finding a environment to be able to practice uh, creative thinking, but rather just about like the way you think on a generic basis and just like in your constant way of thinking. Um, and so a lot of that kind of ties back again to the convergent versus divergent thinking, right? It's like not about finding a time and place to do it, but just if you practice it on on more of a constant basis. Nice. That's pretty yeah. interesting that even big corporations like that take that into consideration. You know, with something right. like Google, you're just, I don't know, trying to make information more accessible to people. But even in that component, figuring out how to structure that in information, that has a creative component too. Yeah, absolutely. The more you know. The more you know. All right, I have the next one. Is this true or false? We have more than five senses. This is interesting. Um, I don't think I've ever heard anyone tell, well, I mean, you know, the, everyone jokes about the sixth sense or things like that, but it's always kind of in like a joking manner. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's false, but I hope you prove me wrong. <laughs> it is actually, no, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh good okay that's I was what like, i want you're right and then i was like no that's wrong um there's actually a lot more than five so a lot more yeah there's a lot more than five so there's some sources that say we have 20 21 and upwards of that even um but beyond the basic ones like you know your taste smell sight all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. there's balance there's the sensation of pain. There's sensation of heat. Um, the way your body is oriented, that's a whole different one. And that's separate from balance, actually. So that's proprioception. Interesting. So there's proprioception, thermoception, nociception. There's so many. Obviously, there's a lot of overlap 
between these and the way that you sense pain could be similar to the way you sense heat, like if you're burning yourself on a stove or something like that. But yeah, there's a lot more than those right. basic five that we know, or six, I guess, that sixth sense as well. But so like touching a hot stove, right? Why would that not be considered under the touch sense? Like, why does that have to be a different sensation? So that is true. So it is. So you touching the stove itself, that's you like the the mechanical pressure that comes from pressing down on it. Okay, that itself touch. is the sense of touch. Right. Mm. But then the way that's interpreted um, by your brain and by your nerves as those signals are sent to your brain, that's whether it's pain, heat, whatever. So it's I guess it's more so a subset of the senses. Um, but mm. technically, they're considered an extension of the original five. So in theory, we have more than five senses. So literally every sensation that I have is, is a sense. It could be, in a way. Yeah, they're all integrated. There's a lot of overlap between them. The next time I like, talk about my five senses, I'm just going to throw out some random number and be like, yeah, my 48 senses told me this. <laughs> and I won't be wrong, right? I guess not. <laughs> Um, also fun fact, and this is something that I haven't talked about on an episode, so I'm going to throw it in there. But did you know that whenever you like burn yourself on a stove, that signal never actually goes up to your brain? Where does it go? So it's a reflex. And a lot of the time, those reflexes just go to your spinal cord and then back. So your spinal cord relays that signal. And so the spinal cord is what tells me, ow. Mm-hmm. Are you it's serious? that quick. It's like a matter of milliseconds. It's so quick. Yeah. It, there's no cognitive interpretation of the fact that you're like burning yourself. It's just like the, the nerves in your like skin, like your fingertips as you're touching yes. a hot stove. Those are what quickly say, oh, something's wrong. And then your brain doesn't even have to process that it's like heat or, you know, whatever it is in order for you to be able to pull away from it. Super quick. Heck? It's just like when you go to the doctor and then they hit your knee with the little hammer. Oh, yeah. Same thing, same concept. The, those reflex things aren't brain signals either? Right. Oh. So when it comes to the brain, there's the brain and spinal cord, which are um, what make up the central nervous system. Okay. So technically those signals end up going to the central nervous system, but they don't make their way all the way up the spinal cord to your brain. They just go to the spinal cord mm. and then come back. So there's your sensory nerves, your spinal cord, and then there's the effector muscles. Um, which are what contract to pull your arm away from it while it's happening. That's really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Thanks for that fun fact. Yes, of <laughs> course. <laughs> you have the next one? Okay, so yeah, the next one is uh, creativity is about the eureka moment, so the aha moments or the light bulb moments. Hmm. Is that true? It is actually false. Oh, um, no. I think... <laughs> Wow, you're so surprised. I think, uh, I, I wonder if all of mine are false. I haven't even looked at this. It seems like we have a trend here. But yes, no, creativity is not necessarily about the eureka moments or the light bulb moments. Um, <laughs> I think it's like, it's funny because like almost any sort of like show you watch or like, I don't know if you ever read like comic books or something, you know, like when people have ideas, it's like the light bulb that switches on. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And like, yeah, sure, that can happen in like, that's a good way to like come up with ideas, but creativity doesn't necessarily mean like innovation, I guess. And like, I think ideas are just like innovations in your head, even if they're not like, like a brand new product or something like that. But I can tell you from like personal experience, even that like 
the times that I practice creativity the most are like not singular moments, but like honestly months of just research and like thought and uh, just kind of drawing things out, writing stuff down. Um, So like, yes, you can have those moments where you come up with some sort of idea, but um, more often than not, creativity is about the process um, rather than like a published like product or something like that, which is interesting. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. That reminds me of the tour guide days when we'd come to exec oh, yes. meetings. <laughs> and then I just have to, you know how I had those like icebreaker things that I'd put together sometimes? The awful icebreakers, yes. Yeah, those. I mean, yes. they were fun sometimes. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um but yeah anywho with those like it wasn't necessarily like an aha thing right like i had to sit down and plan them out right and and i mean like like we were talking about with like the idea for this podcast right it, it kind of was an aha moment but like not necessarily the only way that you could have found the idea yeah right? i mean most of my ideas i was we were talking about this before um I have a whole wall of post-it notes and half the ideas on here aren't actually planned out. It's just like, oh, music, that would be a cool episode. Oh, creativity, right. that'd be a cool episode. But there's no bullet points under that. I have a, I have a cool other myth that we'll, we'll get to later about kind of that idea. Exciting. Okay. Yeah, but you got it. All right. So the next one, is it true or false? After our mid-20s, our cognitive abilities severely decline. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say true on that one. I think that after our mid-20s, we kind of stop using our brains as much. So this one's actually interesting because it's true and false depending on how you look at it. Our brains are plastic, which means they're always making new neurons and making new connections to make sure that we learn new concepts, you know, learn certain behaviors that we need to live and all that kind of stuff. But there's this common knowledge out there in the neuroscience world that we stop growing or our brains stop growing when we turn 25 or 26. So that is when your brain is fully developed. Okay. After that point, there's the assumption that everyone kind of goes downhill. So that's not to say that our brains aren't plastic anymore because we're always learning. We're always growing. Like you can still learn an instrument when you're like 60. You know, it's just easier to do that when you're younger. So your brain's constantly going to be changing. You can still acquire all that new knowledge. But after your 20s is when you first start to notice an initial decline. Because at a certain point, there's a transition from fluid intelligence to crystallized intelligence. Have you heard of those before? I have not, but those sound really cool. So fluid intelligence is what mainly ends up growing when we're younger, up until that like 25, 26 point. And that's referring to patterns and relationships between different concepts when we like establish schemas within our mind. Um, so that could be like, like a puzzle or like a word search, so just making connections between how that works. But yeah, so that's basically just using logic to determine solutions to certain problems. And then as you transition to crystallized intelligence, that's more so like wisdom, like life lessons and things like that. So if, if theoretically someone was to just like, continue to practice like I, I don't even know what the term would be for like like learning um because I mean mm-hmm. yes like you can learn at whatever age you're at right but like mm-hmm. is there any way that you can continue to have fluid intelligence through like after your mid-20s or is that like literally when 
you're you're just done. Like even if you practice it yeah. every single day, you can't do it. So that's actually really interesting that you bring that up because recently um, my sister and I were talking about that. When it comes to like our elders and understanding when you come from like different cultures, especially when you're trying to like assimilate into like a newer one, like we talked about like Indian American mm -hmm. identities and like, you know, sometimes like more traditional ideologies in like South Asian culture yeah. uh, tend to be a lot different from what we're growing up with here. The logic component that comes with understanding how things work here is very different from, you know, like back then. For people who haven't experienced right. that, where they, they have a very different view of that, trying to comprehend this new logic at an older age is much more difficult than if they were in our shoes when we're in our, like, you know, early 20s. I think that's a good analogy. That makes sense. All right, you ready for the next one? Yes. Okay. Creativity is spawned by curiosity. True or false? Hmm. I think that's false. So. I guess I can give you the same answer and say it is true and false, but more often than not, it is uh, actually true. Um, so it's not like the only way that creativity is sparked. Um, like curiosity isn't the, it's, it's not a causal relationship at all um, by any mm -hmm. means, but it's, it plays a very large part in creative culture. Um, and like, I think that's why a lot of people have this take on creativity being like a innate ability where like kids who are in their like growing years and like their formative years are like super curious about things and like that's why and this is really interesting because um i don't know if in like your elementary school or anything like that they had like a like a gifted students program or like a focus mm -hmm. is what we called it tag. tag okay yeah talented and gifted yeah so mm -hmm. like those things are now looking back at that so like trivial to me um mm -hmm. and, and like i don't mean that in a negative way at all but like the fact that like when kids are in those formative years and they become curious and ask questions that is like the only thing that maybe not the only thing but one of the main things that people look at when saying like oh this kid is really smart or this kid is really creative or things like that i vividly remember um for one of my because i don't know uh Tag probably was the same as this, but we had to like take a little test to get put into that program, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions on there, I, I still, I don't know how I remember this, but one of the questions had like a line just on a blank sheet of paper. You probably had this too. Yeah. Okay. I remember this. Yeah. yeah. And they said, draw, uh, draw a picture, right? Yeah. And it's like, mm -hmm. it's so arbitrary, but it's like the kid who can practice the most creative drawing on top of this yeah. is like the one that should be placed into this program yeah and the weird part is like how do you even grade that like how right? do you determine that's like a totally subjective thing right exactly yeah no uh and okay well this is also another aside i'm so sorry but like that's okay. recently <laughs> uh and you know this i i took part in this logo competition on on instagram right um, mm -hmm. and they just released the winners of that. They did a top 10. Um, unfortunately I did not win, but that's okay. No, no. You yeah, still of did course. Great. I, I'm very proud of, uh, I'm very proud of my product. Um, but it's interesting, like this kind of also ties back into this idea that like, honestly, creativity in a sense is quite subjective because the top 10 that they released, I was looking through and I was like, wow, I really did not think that this one was very like 
well put together Mm -hmm. well thought out things like that and like it's interesting to think that like there's some people out there who are making the decisions of whether or not you are creative or whether or not you are not and creative being put into air quotes you know um yeah so it really is interesting to to think that like a lot of times it is sparked from curiosity but there's no causal relationship there that just because you are curious means you are a creative individual um but i mean in in my opinion it's one of my favorite takes on the idea of creativity because it's not necessarily about whether or not you're talented it's just about like how you view the world you know right and i think the the same goes for people that are like grading you i guess yeah. right that also reminds me of when we used to do the essays on the sats oh yeah i think that's like long gone for people taking it now yeah yeah, yeah. But I just learned like the basic structure. And I remember back in high school, the whole focus was like, how do you write with proper rhetoric? Like, how do you make your writing effective with all those vivid verbs and, you know, like the juicy adjectives and all of that? They didn't even care about that on the test. They were like, make sure you have like logical structure, make sure you have like all the points that you're hitting. It didn't even matter. I know. And it's like, where does that come in? It's it's funny because like, you, the, you're taught these things and then i don't know about you but i w- like would read books and like they'd start sentences with like conjunctions like and and i'd be like wait but like literally yesterday my teacher told me not to do and so it's like where like where do you draw the line all right so this episode did end up being a little long so i will be splitting it up into two separate parts if you're interested in joining us for part two it'll be live bright and early monday morning We'll be talking about the last five myths, as well as a fun little project that Kieran's been working on, which has received lots and lots of success in the recent weeks. If you want to learn about how he's using his creativity to benefit charity and help people out during the COVID crisis, then definitely be sure to tune in. We'll see you guys then.